what is a saint? A saint is a dead person who has been officially recognized by the Catholic Church as being particularly holy and has been canonized. A canonized person is a dead person who is a saint. A saint is a person in heaven who has lived a virtuous life, either through good deeds, giving their lives for others, or through martyrdom. A saint is a person who is holy. In Saint of the Day, Leonard Foley writes that the saint's surrender to God's love was so generous an approach to the total surrender of Jesus that the church recognizes them as heroes and heroines worthy to be held up for our inspiration. The church does not make saints, but it recognizes them and canonizes them according to a set of guidelines that are clearly outlined, often stretched, and almost hopelessly vague. Historically, there have been three sanctioned paths towards sainthood. The first was perhaps most obvious, uh, and that was martyrdom, the act of being killed for your faith. The second was living a life heroically of Christian values, and the third was having a strong reputation for devotion. If a person has done either or both of the latter qualifiers, being heroically Christian or reputedly devotional, they must also have a record of having performed or being associated with at least two miracles. If they're a martyr, simply dying is enough. You do not have to be a priest or a nun to be a saint, but it does seem to help. In 2017, the Vatican wrote new rules to qualify for sainthood, perhaps even more perplexing and vague than their predecessors. One, the individual must freely and voluntarily offer their life in the face of a certain and soon-to-come death. Two, there must be a close relation between the offering of one's life and the premature death of the one who offers it. Three, the person must show Christian virtues, at least to an ordinary extent, before and after offering their life. Four, they must have a reputation for holiness, at least after their death. And five, they must have performed a miracle. This is a major difference from the martyrdom category, which does not require a miracle. The process of formal canonization can take years, at least five after the person has died, but sometimes centuries. When a person has been singled out for a suspected sainthood, they first have their lives examined by an expert who will create a report that will be sent to a pertinent diocese. This information is then sent to the Dicastery of the Causes of Saints, a Vatican office responsible for determining who is and who is not worthy of sainthood. If the application for sainthood is initially approved, a candidate may be granted the title of Venerable. Continued investigation may lead a candidate to being beatified and given the title Blessed. An official beatification classification states that a person is indeed in heaven and has the ability to intercede on the behalf of people who pray in their name. If a person has passed these qualifications, proof will be needed of two posthumous miracles. I've always known that miracles are a key component for sainthood and have recounted the story of St. Thomas Aquinas' delightful miracle of the herring to dozens of strangers in lieu of small talk. The story is this. The theologian Thomas Aquinas made extraordinary contributions to Christian writing, but his life was not a particularly miraculous one. Desperate to make him a saint, holy officials combed over the minutiae of his life to see if anything could come close to a miracle. They came across the story of Thomas uh, lying in bed, gravely ill, asking for some herring and receiving start sardines instead, as no herring could be located at the time. Thomas was satisfied, the records say. The miracle here is that the sardines turned to herring in his mouth. That was enough. 
and a saint he became. It appears that this is no longer the case. Miracles must be made after death. Interesting, I think, that the rules of heaven could be changed. And interesting also that the miracles now specifically relate not just to the body, but to the corpse. Make no mistake, while being devoted and heroic are important, the most crucial qualifier for sainthood is being dead. It is the first and the most important thing a saint can be. To be faithful is to live like Christ. What did Christ do? First he bled and then he died. Even if a person has lived a relatively miracle-free life, there is still a chance that their rotted flesh can offer up something worthwhile to devotees. Churches are sanctified with a saintly relic. A bone or a tooth or some cloth soaked in blood will do. In heaven, the saints will work tirelessly, pleading to God on your behalf. They do not rest. Miracles of saints rarely leave the realms of their bodies. Many have the capability to heal others, but often their miracles seem to be a testament to how much they can wring out of themselves physically. Saints have visions, both prophetic and erotic, dreaming of their reunion with Christ. They go into trances, they become hysterical and undone. They lock themselves in cages, wander the desert. For God, they will whip themselves, pierce their flesh, forgo not just comfort, but the basic necessities for survival. Women saints will perform the miraculous act of permanently giving up food and drink. They will be blessed with the stigmata, bleeding freely in the image of Christ. Their wounds will open and light will pour out of them. More outlandish saints will levitate, biolocate. After death, their corpses will remain immaculate, unrotted, and their blood will dry and then liquefy again. The miracle of liquefaction. Martyrs and non-martyrs alike, it seems to be that, above all else, a saint is a person who hurt. In 1833, Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a poem called St. Simeon Stylites. St. Simeon Stylites is one of those saints whose self-imposed anguish seems so ridiculous as to border on parody. Born around the year 390, he spent 37 years living on a small platform on top of a pillar 50 feet above the ground outside Aleppo, allowing himself to face the brutality of the elements and enduring constant physical suffering and pain. He would shout his ministry to onlookers below, but stayed on his perch away from the world. In the opening lines of Tennyson's poem, Simeon describes himself as the basest of mankind, from scalp to soul, one sloth of crust of sin. Unfit for earth, unfit for heaven. Well, I like the image of a crust of sin, the last part of the phrase is what really sticks to me when I think about the saints. Unfit for earth, unfit for heaven. If your sincerest wish is to die for God, what world do you belong to? Where on earth could you live? In Afterlives of the Saints, author Colin Dickey describes saints as akin to the replicants of Ridley Scott's 1982 film Blade Runner. Human, inhuman, perfect and destructive, both physical, physically dangerous and inherently self-immolating. Dickey writes, while saints participate in a common humanity, they lie at the very limit of that humanity. They have pushed what it means to be human to the breaking point and beyond. They have taken their own humanity and shattered it. 
As with replicants, there is something dangerous about saints. He asks us what it must mean to love a god who had his son not just killed but tortured too. What that love must mean in relation to the human body. What pain must mean in the eyes of this god. How this love must feel if it is defined by almost unendurable pain in the body. Dickey writes, that is what it means to love a divinity, to crave death, to want to die daily, to reject this world in favor of the promise of another. It's why most of us aren't cut out to be saints, why many of us find something unhealthy about the very idea. To be a saint is to see one's body as nothing more than a chance to demonstrate that love of death. So what does it mean to actively love death and to do it for God? What does it mean to want that hurt? Sometimes in reading stories about the saints, I find myself thinking, what is even the purpose of all this? Why render your own flesh for God to appease him? To appease yourself? And when I read these stories, our believers are the really devout are they thinking that starving and burning and cutting your flesh is something that appeases God? Do they think, maybe like I sometimes do, that this is suffering that someone is trying to make purposeful in a vacuum? That maybe these saints are so desolate that they have to thrust their hurt somewhere and God is just that hole into which their hurt is poured. There are saints famed for having their flesh burned off, their skin cut away. The suffering is rendered morally desirable. So devout were they that they physically hurt for God rather than bending to the will of oppressors. But what does it mean when those saints are burning their flesh themselves? Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, a 16th century Carmelite nun, remains famous for the intensity of her self-imposed physical suffering. Aside from her history as an example of anorexia mirabilis, what I think the Catholic Church would refer to as long-term fasting, Mary also regularly rolled naked in thorns, flagellated, wore a corset she had fixed uh, with interior nails to pierce her skin with every breath. She poured hot wax over her body. She licked the infected wounds of the dying until her body was covered in weeping sores and all of her teeth fell out. As she lay dying, she forbade the other nuns around her to touch her or to tend to her lest they be racked by uncontrollable sexual desires. When asked about her unusual proclivity towards self-harm, she said, Those who call to mind the sufferings of Christ, who offer up their own God through his passion, find their pains sweet and pleasant. In 1583, her fellow nuns found her weeping before a crucifix, saying, Oh, love, you are neither known nor loved. She referred to her heart as a pitch-black room whose only light made the darkness around it deeper and darker. What are we to do with a story like Sister Mary's? And when the devout read this story, what does it sound like to them? I think our tendency, mine even, is to call Mary Magdalene de Pazzi pathological, deeply depressed, anorexic, bulimic, sadomasochistic. 
But I say that as someone on the inside, pathologically speaking, not on the outside. I do not doubt that she hurt to a point of madness. My questions lie in the veneration of her pain as something inherently admirable. I hurt. Is it divine? Is God appeased? This is all miracles are strange. My name is Liz Hamilton. You can find me on social media under my name and you can contact me at allmiraclesarestrange at gmail.com. My theme song is an edited version of an 1888 recording of Handel's Israel in Egypt, one of the earliest known recordings of the human voice. If you'd like to read notes and see images from All Miracles Are Strange, you can sign up to my Substack, which is under my name. Um, and if you'd like to support me in my work, you can find me on Patreon. Thank you.